You're listening to a sermon from Darabin Presbyterian Church. Visit us online for more resources or to get in touch. So the reading this afternoon is Matthew chapter 26, verses 1 to 16. When Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, As you know, the Passover is two days away, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and they schemed to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or there may be a riot among the people. While Jesus was in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, She did it to prepare me for burial. Truly I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out for him thirty pieces of silver. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Hi everyone, my name is Adam. I'm one of the pastors here at DPC. Great to see the faithful ones who are here, not going off to have holidays and all that kind of stuff. Here is where the fun is happening, focusing on God's word, great thing to do. Uh, the sermon outline is on our webpage, on the welcome card webpage, Bible passage there, sermon outline, everything you need. If you've got a physical Bible, have that open to Matthew 26. As we come to think about God's word, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Uh, Thank you for this time when we can think about your word, think about what it means to uh, follow Jesus, and we pray that you would speak clearly and powerfully to us today. Amen. How we treat someone shows how much we value them. Uh, When my kids have a birthday, it's a big deal in our house. Uh, Tracy and I, we go out and buy presents and we carefully wrap them. Uh, Tracy hand makes cards for them and she always saves up her best techniques for the family members. Uh, We throw a party and we have a cake. Uh, We invite the grandparents over to celebrate, to visit. Our kids' birthdays are a big deal because we value them. Uh, In fact, our son Noah had his 11th birthday this past week, but he was on school camps. He was actually up in Canberra. So he managed to wrap up a present and sneak it up with his teacher so he could open it as a surprise on his birthday to know that we love him and that we're thinking of him. But it was still sad to not be with him on the actual day to celebrate because that's something we do as a family is how we show that we love our kids. Now at our house, we also have pets and I like our pets. Uh, We don't throw them parties for their birthdays. Uh, Tracy doesn't make cards for our pets. Uh, We don't invite the grandparents to come over and spend time with the pets. 
In fact, we don't even know their exact birth dates. I value our pets, but nowhere near as much as I value my kids. And that's pretty clear from my actions. I mean, I've never actually forgotten to put the kids away at night and let them run around in the backyard. For example, now today, Matthew 26, verses 1 to 16, we're going to see what it looks like to value Jesus. There are four different responses to him. And the way these people treat him reflect the different ways that they valued him. And there's a lot that we can learn. Uh, The first group are the Jewish leaders. And they reveal murderous hatred towards Jesus. Rather than praising over him as the long-awaited Messiah, they are plotting over him. The tension between the, the leaders and Jesus has been building, as we've seen, and it's come to a head and Jesus knows it. Uh, have a look at what he says in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 26. When Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, As you know, the Passover is two days away, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. So Jesus has warned his disciples several times that he's going to be handed over and killed. They they should have known what was going to happen. He's talked about this, and now he's told them when it will happen. It's uh, It's going to be linked to the Passover. And so that means that by the end of the week, Jesus will be dead. Now, in the next verse, we, we change scenes and we move to the leaders who are actually debating how they're going to make this happen. You can kind of picture it if this was a movie, we'd cut to a new scene. You maybe have meanwhile come up on the screen so we know this is what's happening at the same time. Have a look at verses 3 and 4 uh, and 5. Uh, when the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and they schemed to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or there may be a riot among the people. Now, this is the first time in the New Testament that the high priest is named. He's Caiaphas. And he was high priest from 18 to 36 AD, which during the Roman occupation, that was quite a long term for a high priest, which tells us that this guy Caiaphas is probably pretty savvy and knows how to hold onto power. And so here he is with his priestly underlings and the leaders of the people, the ruling elders of the nation, and they're determined to secretly arrest and kill Jesus. But they don't want to do it during the Passover because they're worried there might be a riot. Now, you remember last year when we studied the book of Exodus, the the Passover was the the big kind of moment when God rescued them out of slavery in Egypt and led them eventually to the promised land. And so every year, the, the people would celebrate the liberation from slavery by observing the Passover. It took place on the 14th of the month, and then you had the Feast of Unleavened Bread started the next day and went for seven days. And so it was a great celebration. And a great time for Jewish nationalism, remembering the freedom that God had given them. And so you can imagine that during the Roman occupation, this was a tense time. Riots were common during the festival, and so it was fairly normal for uh, the Roman soldiers in Judea to be on edge at this time of year. And so the leaders They don't want to cause any problems at this time in case it jeopardizes their positions of power. 
And so rather than seeing Jesus as the answer to all of their problems, even their problems of occupation and things like that, uh, the Jewish leaders, they want to get rid of Jesus. They have murderous hatred towards him, and so they are plotting over Jesus. Well, then we shift to the next scene. begins in verse 6, and there's an incredible contrast. Uh, there's actually a party going on. And we meet two types of people in this house. Have a look at verses 6 and 7. While Jesus was in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. So Jesus is in the village of Bethany, which was kind of his base of operations. When he arrived in Judea, that's where he set up. He'd go to Jerusalem each day and teach and then go back and stay the night in Bethany, about three kilometers out of Jerusalem. And he's at a dinner party that's hosted by Simon the leper. Isn't that a great name? Wouldn't you love to be called the leper? And it's, and it's pretty unlikely that he'd still have leprosy at this time because I don't think anyone would turn up to his house if he had a contagious skin disease. So it's possible that he's been healed by Jesus, maybe throwing a celebration party. Uh, we're not exactly sure what his story is, but it seems that you know, he'd been sick for so long that maybe the name had stuck even when he was healed. And also Matthew probably wants to distinguish him from all the other Simons that were around at the time, just so they knew which Simon he was talking about. And so Jesus is eating and a woman comes up and pours this expensive perfume on his head. It's all a bit of a shock. And there are some people here who show us our second response to Jesus. They are those who have limited devotion towards him. Have a look at verses 8 and 9. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Now, anointing a guest with oil or perfume was an acceptable Jewish practice. But the problem that the people have is with the excessive amount of perfume used by the woman. And this was really posh stuff. If you turn to Mark, you could see Mark's parallel account of this event in chapter 14 of his book. And he tells us that this perfume was nard oil uh, made from a plant in India. It had to be specially imported, very expensive, considered precious. And this particular batch was pure. That made it even more expensive. Uh, one of the guests actually calculates it to be worth at least a year's wages for a day labourer. Here in Matthew's account, the disciples are indignant because surely it could have been sold to help the poor instead of being wasted on Jesus. And it's this attitude that shows that the disciples are placing piety over Jesus. Now, I use that word piety because it starts with P and it fits my outline. But if you don't know what it means, it's kind of you know, wanting to do the right thing, to be holy, to be devoted. But see, they would rather do religious deeds than honour Jesus. Now, of course... Helping the poor is really important. That's, that's, we're not saying that we shouldn't help the poor. And in fact, at the time of Passover, it was customary to give gifts to the poor. So it's already on their mind that they should be helping those sorts of people. But as important as the poor are, Jesus 
is even more important. He's the king and the saviour. And so the way we treat him shows whether we value him correctly or not. That's really at the heart of this passage. It's what, Jesus, uh, what Matthew is trying to teach us. So let's now look at the woman's reaction, which is one of overflowing love. And rather than plotting over Jesus or putting piety over Jesus, she's pouring perfume over Jesus. And this woman is nameless here, also in Mark's account. Luke doesn't even record this story at all. But in the fourth gospel, in John's gospel, he has a very similar story in chapter 12. And in that story, we read about Lazarus and his sisters Martha and Mary, three friends that Jesus had who lived in Bethany. And it's Mary who was the one who pours perfume over Jesus. Now, there are some differences between these different accounts. And so some people say, oh, this kind of John has taken Matthew's story and added some embellishments and sort of mucked it up a bit. But actually, I think there is a way to reconcile the differences and say these are the, the same event told from different perspectives with different purposes. And if you're really excited about that, come and talk to me later and I'll talk about it then, not now. And so we can actually say that this woman in Matthew is Mary, the friend of Jesus. Not Mary, the mother of Jesus, or Mary Magdalene, or other Marys. There are lots of Marys in the New Testament. This is Mary of Bethany. And so I think that sheds some light on what her possible motivations might be. After all, it was her brother Lazarus who had died, and Jesus rose him back up to life. I mean, surely she'd be happy about that. Uh, also, Luke tells us that Mary's the one who sat at Jesus' feet as he was teaching. Remember, Martha's getting the dinner ready and Mary's sitting there listening. And so it's possible that while the 12 disciples don't really understand what Jesus is talking about half the time, Mary does. She knows what's about to happen. And also, John tells us that yeah, Mary was a bit impulsive at times. And so this kind of fits with uh, her character, this extravagant act of love. So her alabaster jar contained something precious. Not only was it expensive, but it would have been something important to Mary. After all, you wouldn't have jars of this just lying around for no good reason. Maybe it was a family heirloom. Maybe it was her dowry. You know, something that she'd saved up for a special occasion. Maybe to sell it if she needed it or to use for someone special. And so perhaps her action does seem a little bit excessive. I mean, she really wanted to anoint Jesus. Couldn't she have sold this really expensive perfume, given money to the poor, and then used the change to buy some cheaper perfume to pour over Jesus, get the same thing done? But that's not how Jesus sees it. He says this is a beautiful thing in verse 10. And look at the rest of his response in verses 11 and 12. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. So there are two things that Jesus reveals to us. The first is that his time is short, and so this type of devotion is appropriate. The poor will always be around, but Jesus will so soon leave, and so now is the time to act and show love for him. The second thing Jesus reveals is that his death is near, and so this type of anointing is necessary. 
we might view pouring perfume on someone as a bit of a waste, but it had a deep significance for the Jews. See, anointing was a way of showing love or respect. It was a way of blessing someone, but Jesus adds a deeper meaning. He says it's about preparing him for his burial. That's what people do in those days. They would anoint people before they buried them. And so whether Mary really understood that or not, that's the significance that it had. And so it would have been wrong to pour, Je- uh, to pour perfume on Jesus each and every day. This was a one-time event. Yeah, he wasn't seeking people's gold and jewellery and their finest food. He didn't want to be treated like an earthly king. What's so special about this event is the timing. It was an appropriate act of love at an appropriate time. And it showed great devotion. The other disciples, well, they're limited in their devotion, which is shown by their caution and their reservation. You know, they don't be accused of reckless extravagance, and that's why they're not commended. That's why it's Mary who is celebrated all over the world, even today. Check out verse 13. Truly I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Now, I remember reading this when I first became a Christian and thought Jesus was giving a command that whenever you shared the message about Jesus, shared the gospel, you had to like reference this incident as well. And so I kind of had in my mind, you can picture it of you, you walk up to someone and say, oh, did you know that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and rose again? And there was this other time where a woman poured perfume on his head and it was awesome. So what do you think? Do you want to become a Christian? In reality, what Jesus is saying is that Mary's overflowing love is the type of attitude that goes along with receiving and accepting the gospel. The good news that Jesus has died. And Matthew has actually recorded this event. See, he's done the bit that was supposed to happen. He's written down the event so that wherever the Bible has gone throughout the world, in whatever language, this deed has been remembered. And so one day, we'll get to meet Mary, maybe get to ask her about this, and I bet she'll be incredibly embarrassed that such a fuss was ever made. But, you know, it was necessary that her deed be described by Matthew so that we can see the contrast of just how wicked Judas's deed is. This is our fourth and final response. We'll look at it, and it's one of greedy betrayal. Have a look at verses 14, 15, and 16. Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. So Judas is first mentioned in Matthew 10, verse 4, and we're told there that he will go on to betray Jesus. And so now is the time. And so at the start of our passage, we have the Jewish leaders seeking a way to arrest Jesus. And at the end of the passage, we have Judas seeking an opportunity to hand him over. And what is it that motivated him? Well, it seems to be greed. They offer Judas money, 30 pieces of silver. And so he stands in contrast to Mary, doesn't he? Everything that that Mary is, he's the opposite. 
You know, he grudgingly follows Jesus. He holds back his best from Jesus. He cares not that his master is about to die. And so all of this reveals just how little he values Jesus. He would rather have 30 pieces of silver. Now, we don't know exactly how much that was worth, but it was certainly worth less than the jar of perfume. And so this just heightens the significance of Mary's deed. You know, perhaps the reason that Matthew doesn't name Mary in his recounting of the event is because he doesn't want the emphasis to be who she was and her identity. He wants the emphasis to be her actions. Because you see, both Caiaphas and Judas are named, aren't they? The bad guys, and their names have gone down in infamy. But this woman at the center of the story remains nameless. So she's like the model disciple. We can all be like Mary. Her act of loving kindness has become famous and sets the standard of what it means to greatly value Jesus. She took her treasure and she gave it to Jesus because she treasured him more. So what does it mean? To treasure Jesus today. Well, we're going to spend some time thinking about that now. And our fifth and final point, treasuring Jesus today. Now, as we've seen, we're not told what motivates any of these characters. Rather, we're shown their motivations, aren't we? And not only is this good storytelling, it actually teaches us our key truth. Our actions reveal our attitudes. And so what do your actions say about how you value Jesus? See, the Jewish leaders, they think Jesus is worthless. In fact, he's more valuable to them dead. Judas thinks Jesus is only worthy of a few handfuls of coins, and Jesus is just a means to an end. The disciples watching Mary think Jesus is valuable, but not all that valuable. You know, he's important, but let's not make a big fuss about it. Mary, though, thinks Jesus is worth everything she has. And so we learn these attitudes from their actions. What do your actions communicate about what you think about Jesus? How much you value him? Would it be clear to those around you that you do value Jesus? And maybe you're here today and you're still figuring out what you think about Jesus, whether he's valuable or not. Uh, that's great. It's wonderful that you're here. Keep exploring this. Uh, read the Bible. Speak to Christians about who he is. But let me just give you a, a gentle word of warning or encouragement. You need to make a decision about Jesus one day. You know, perhaps, like the Jewish leaders, you might see Jesus as a barrier to getting what you want. You know, you're afraid that if you value Jesus, if you commit to following him, he's going to wreck your life. He's going to limit your choices. And you feel that maybe he's not worth the cost. And so you want to get him out of your life, or at least just off to the side where you can manage him a bit. Well, that's what Caiaphas thought. Caiaphas thought, if I get rid of Jesus, I can stay in control and be the high priest still. Well... Caiaphas is no longer the high priest because he's dead. But Jesus is alive and he offers eternal life to all who come to him in faith. 
Perhaps like Judas, you might instead see Jesus as the means of getting what you want. Not that you're going to sell him to people for 30 coins, but you might think that becoming a Christian might help you to get ahead in life. Maybe win the heart of that Christian guy or girl you've got your eye on. Maybe you kind of get that afterlife insurance policy, you know, just in case I'll say, yep, Jesus, I value this much as a backup plan. Or maybe you think if you trust in Jesus, God will grant you three prayer wishes at any time throughout your life. Well, that's what Judas thought. You know, he could use Jesus to get what he wanted. And he did get what he wanted, but it only left him with regret. He thought there was greater treasure to be had than knowing Jesus. And so my warning for you today is to consider the value of Jesus in and of himself. So you don't see him as a means to getting what you want. Don't see him as a barrier to getting what you want. Look at him through the eyes of Mary, who saw him as the ultimate treasure. He is what we should want. Because when we have Jesus, we have everything else we'll ever need, including everlasting life. Jesus loved you so much that he went to the cross for you. He died in your place so that you could be restored to God and receive endless blessings through him. Now, what about the Christians here today and those listening online? Well, surely your actions would reveal that you value Jesus. But would your actions suggest that you value him a lot or just a little? You know, are you like Mary or are you like the other disciples? You know, the the gathered disciples, they watch Mary in horror. What a waste of money, they thought. You know, a reckless outpouring of precious perfume. What a disgusting display of unrestrained emotion. But what Mary shows is uncontainable love. She treasures Jesus so much that her love is uncontainable. The love flows out of her heart like perfume out of a jar. So we might look at her act and think, well, you know, it's fine to love Jesus, but can you just tone it down a little bit? Like, you know, why can't Mary just hold it in like I do? Well, it's easy to hold it in when you've only got a thimble full of love, right? You know, it's easy to, to hold in your love for Jesus when you love so many other things so much more. You see, if we truly value Jesus, then we'll be bursting with love for him. And it will pour out for Jesus into all of your life. See, our actions reveal how much we value Jesus. So maybe maybe you feel a bit convicted like I do, going, I don't have that much love for Jesus. Like maybe I've got two or three thimbles. But how can we grow our, our love to have buckets and buckets of love for him like Mary did? Minus suggests a couple of ways that we can grow in how much we value him. And the first way is to grow in your understanding of who he is and what he has done for you. See, that was Judas's problem. He didn't really listen to Jesus like Mary did. He didn't really get who Jesus was. So take the time to keep reading the Bible. 
read it to learn more about Jesus. You know, start with reading the four Gospels every year. You read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Come to church each week. Learn about him. Spend time with his people so you can see the difference that Christ makes in their lives. You know, we want to keep Jesus at the center of what we do here at DPC. And so if you keep coming along, we should be growing in our understanding and therefore our love of Jesus. Make the most of Easter and Christmas because they are times of the year when we can especially focus on him and prepare our hearts to celebrate those times in Christ-centered ways. That's a bit of a plug for the resources we have on our website. Head over to the website, to the resources downloads page, and you can download the Easter document we've got there. Why not read a Christian book about Jesus? I've listed some options in the sermon outline. And so in this way, we can grow in our understanding of who Jesus is. The King, the Good Shepherd, the Healer, the Saviour, the Lord. And we'll also grow in our understanding of what Jesus has done for us. So he lived a perfect life on our behalf so that we can be considered righteous in the eyes of God. You've been set free from having to prove yourself to God. He died a sacrificial death on our behalf so that we can be forgiven. You've been set free from having to pay off your debt to God. And he rose again to new life so that we might one day share fully in that life and live with him forever. And so you've been set free from having to secure your best life now through your efforts. And so as we grow in this way, we'll realize there is no one and nothing greater than Jesus. And there is nothing we need that he won't give to us. Well, the second way we can grow in our love of Jesus is to understand that Jesus will return to bring this world to an end. It took a bit of a dark turn then, didn't it? But that's what we've been looking at over the last few weeks. I mean, those passages about Jesus returning, they set the context for this story. Because see, Mary gets it. The time is short. Jesus will come back. Life as we know it will end when Jesus comes on the clouds of heaven with the angels and he will judge all people and reward his followers with everlasting blessings in a renewed world centered on the triune God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And so one way to love Jesus more is to remember that the things of this world will not last. Whether it's our job or our phone or our freedom or our money or our power. These things won't endure. And so we shouldn't treasure them more than we treasure Jesus. See, when we treasure Jesus, we can hold on to the stuff of this world more lightly. They'll have less control over us. And so we won't become a slave to our study or our work or our reputation. You see, they'll even become ways in which we can use them as means for showing our love for Jesus, use our work and our study and the things we have on this earth to show that we love him. Which leads to our next point about treasuring Jesus. It's all very well to say, Mary is the model, let's all be like Mary. But Jesus is not here on the earth anymore, is he? I mean, what am I supposed to do with my oil then? Well, I've got three answers on how we can show our love for Jesus today. 
And the first way is by sharing the good news about him throughout the world. I mean, look again at verses 12 and 13. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare, for my, prepare me for burial. Truly I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. See, Jesus makes the connection that Mary's act of devotion is connected to his death. That's what the gospel is about. It's the good news that Jesus died in the place of sinners like you and I. And so the way we show our devotion to Jesus is making sure that message about his death continues to spread throughout the world. That's how we show our love for Jesus today. The second way we can show our love of Jesus today is by loving people in practical ways. So you can't pour oil on Jesus anymore. But do you remember what we learned last week in the passage about the sheep and the goats? See, Jesus said, the way you care for Christians in need, the way you care for Jesus' people who are in need, reflects what you think about Jesus. And in fact, that's how you serve him. You serve Jesus by serving his people because they are united to him by faith. And so you can love Jesus by serving in a ministry team at church, by being a faithful and encouraging member of a gospel community by generously sharing what you have with other believers. And finally, you can show your love of Jesus by beautiful deeds of devotion. That might be a bit abstract, right? So let me add also that these are deeds that are appropriate to the time and occasion and in line with your means. See, the right time and occasion for pouring perfume over Jesus was just before his death. So we don't need to do that. It's already been done. And so you don't have to save up your perfume for the day you get to meet Jesus. And we don't need to take pouring perfume on someone as kind of the ultimate ideal model of showing love. It's not like you need to invite Pastor Aaron over for dinner and then halfway through the meal pour oil all over his head. Unless that's something you want, Aaron, I don't know. Like You can talk to him about that. But you don't need to do that. Instead, we show our devotion to Jesus in ways that are appropriate for today. See, we use our treasures to show how much we treasure him. And that's what makes the deeds beautiful. It could be through giving up what we treasure. Maybe that promotion or an expensive holiday or your dream home. So that you can have more time and money to give to the church. Be willing to sacrifice your dreams if that's a way that you can show how much you treasure Jesus. And also we do this in line with our means. You see, Jesus is not expecting that we invite people over for dinner, we pour out the most expensive wine that we can find. He wants us to share what we have with people as a sign of our love for Jesus. And so we need to pour out our life for Jesus. Pour out our praise of Jesus. And that's the key. You see, these, these are deeds of devotion that flow from the heart, that flow from the love that's there as we treasure him. And as we treasure Jesus more and more, we will see more and more ways in which we can engage in these sorts of deeds that reveal how much we value him. And so this passage reminds us that our actions reveal how much we value Jesus. And so let's not treat him as a distant friend or maybe a cute pet or a business associate. Let's treat him as the loving Lord who has laid down his life for us. 
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful picture of what it means to treasure Jesus. And so please give us wisdom and patience to know how we can uh, do like deeds, to do beautiful deeds that are appropriate to the time and occasion within our means, but that reveal how much we value Jesus. Amen.